0: Hey everybody, Saturday, seventeenth of July. Uh, a lot going on out there. Um, I mean, just just a lot happening, and a lot lot of fungicide being sprayed in my neighborhood too. Just um, just just a lot going on, and and I think as soon as they get done with the corn, they're going to probably turn right around with the soybeans. But I, I think the the major thing here is just we continue to get rain. Now it looks like to me. We're going we're gonna to dry up for at least a week. We're going to warm up a little bit. Uh, probably not a bad thing. Probably something that the soybeans really need. Now, to these farmers north and west, uh, they need some rain and they need some cooler temperatures. They don't need it to dry out anymore. And so it's the tale of two two corn belts. You have the old traditional corn belt that has a few problems where the old traditional corn belt probably ended right in kind of the southeastern corner of South Dakota and was on the eastern side of Nebraska and down a little bit into Kansas and then all the way went across to Ohio, you know. Now, the Corn Belt has moved north and west. Um, Besides southern Minnesota, you now have corn in northern Minnesota. You have a lot of corn in North Dakota you have acres, more acres, than than used to be in South Dakota, and that's where the dry weather is. Now, uh, listen to people guess where the national corn yield's going to be, and it's going to be tough to pin that down because, yes, there's places in the eastern Corn Belt that's going to have just some tremendous corn yields that this thing carries on out. Of course, I'm beginning to wonder, even with the fungicide applications, if we stay as wet as we do, uh, and we've had these problems before. And I remember looking at corn in 1993, where we'd had excessive amounts of rain, and especially in Iowa, where they had excessive amounts of rain. And by middle of August, that corn was starting to look the, the kind of the color of cardboard. And yeah, the, this fungicide is going to help this corn tremendously. It's it's going to be um, good for it. But man, it is very wet and and going to be humid and... Did I tell you it's going to be very wet? It's just going to be interesting to see how this thing finishes out uh, and where it goes. Do I think we're going to have in the eastern corn belt, the center corn belt, a big crop? Yes, I do. The question in my mind is, what happens in Iowa? But let's talk about a couple other things that 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 one that is going to affect the markets a little bit. Wildfires out west are slowing up or stopping trains, especially in Canada, and. This is a slow shipping season time for Canada, except now they're they're getting ready to crank up their wheat harvest, so they're going to start moving trains here left and right. They've had a couple bridges they've had to repair and and pretty good sized bridges that have caught fire and burn up. Uh, but on the other hand, um, when you look at uh, the the biggest problem I see is there's a lot of empty rail cars in like Vancouver in seattle in portland that need to get back wet back east and we need the train tracks open to get that back east so they can get loaded and then head back west huh and and that that's just gonna that's quote unquote just gonna kind of figure out how um how that gets done and how you get around it and the fact that, that especially China likes to bring soybeans out of the Pacific Northwest, and if it stays dry, and if it stays warm, you're going to continue to get these forest fires where these train tracks drive through uh, in the western United States, western Canada, up until what, the first snowfall? So <clears throat> some of these early trains of corn and beans that I think they would be taken out of may still be affected and you're going to have the backlog of all the other all the other goods and services and stuff that that go back and forth on trains. And I think it's just going to be interesting to see how this all works out. And it's going to be another marketing challenge for farmers with with the trains having having wildfires. Fruit and vegetables. I think you need to be ready to pay more at the grocery store for fruit and vegetables. Um, a lot of production out west is being hurt. Plus, once the temperatures get above a certain amount or a certain height, a lot of times they pull the workers out of the fields, which is a smart move, in my opinion. When that happens, uh, stuff doesn't get harvested, which means it gets overripe, which means it probably gets rotten in the field. Um, I think, and, and I think longer term, this may get a few companies to diversify back into the Eastern United States or the center part of the United States where there's irrigation, even though they don 't have it maybe have as much infrastructure, but they may want to diversify their production area so as not to depend so totally on one area and they and you have two things going out west or three really. you have this kind of long term drought, which I think is probably typical of out west. I think out west you have periods where you have pretty good weather and then I think you have time frames where it gets dry and it gets dry for multiple years in a row and then you go back to a more wetter climate for a while where you have more rain. Uh you know, you, I see the picture in like 1980, 81, 82, something like that where the first time the spillway ever happened uh, at the Hoover Dam because they had so much rain, had so much snowfall and they had that much water. Uh so I think you have that that normal climatic change from a wetter climate to a drier climate and I think then it but I think it's longer term cycles. It's 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 decades maybe not years on those cycles too. Um you you have a environmental movement that wants to dump water for things like fishes in the in the ocean Uh, you know, estuaries and bays, different things like that, which is taking up water that normally would have been stored and then used during dry years in agriculture. And then the third thing that I think that's going to affect the water usage out west is just the simple fact that you have a growing population. The four fastest growing states in the United States is Idaho, Nevada, Utah, in Arizona, all of them in uh, areas where you need to store water in rivers. In a lot of cases, now Idaho probably is in better shape than a lot of the others. But you read about Utah, where the Great Salt Lake continues to go down, down, down. Uh, Arizona, you know, you look at Lake Powell, you look at, uh, you know, just the, there's there's water there. And then Nevada, he, same thing, like Powell, you know, huge growth. Where are you going to get the water? Um, but the population continues to grow. And I can tell you if it comes down between putting water on your field or giving people water in a, in a suburb, the suburb's probably going to win out on getting the water. Um, I know there's water rights. I know there's all these kinds of things. But, you know, the, the fact is... Uh, they, and, and they 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 continue to to knock some of these storage dams down in some of these rivers, especially in California, which only means there's less stored up water. It only exacerbates the problem and and just makes it worse. So that's um that's that's something that I think long term. You know, where is this fruit and vegetable production going to go? Is it going to go out of the country? Is it going to go to Mexico? Is it going to go to Caribbean nations? Uh, is it going to go to South America? Is it going to go to other parts of the United States? I, I, I think that's an interesting question, and I think from a food security standpoint, it's a discussion that probably policymakers ought to be having now, not later, because if, if, if places like California could continue to pull the water away from their agricultural producers, uh, we become food insecure in the fact that we have to import a bunch of our food. Now, the last thing I want to talk about here today is something that that farm groups, it's a a topic for farm groups. And, okay, there's a certain amount of farmers and and a number of them that are in farm groups when it comes to trade, when it comes to agriculture trade, doesn't matter who it is, what it is, we want to sell to them, we want to trade with them, the heck with what's going on, uh, we're selling to communist China anyway, so let's sell to them anyway. And the country that I'm talking about is Cuba. Cuba's in the news here lately. A lot of unrest in Cuba. A lot of problems down in Cuba. And, you know, that Cuba's 90 miles off the coast of Florida. Uh, Cuba could be... uh, You could take commodities from, like, New Orleans, Mobile, Alabama, and you don't even really need to put them on ships. They just put them on what they call ocean-going barges and shoot across to Cuba and, you know, it's, it's, um, um, it's an island full of people that could have a lot of tourism and a lot of stuff going on, and we could sell a lot of agricultural goods too. But uh, Cuba's got a communist uh, government. Cuba's got a government that has ruled with an iron fist. Uh, Cuba has, uh, well, every time they have trouble like they do now, you watch a whole bunch of these people that protested and got arrested in Cuba, the Cubans are going to put them on boats and send them to Florida. And and not that, that they aren't good people and I wouldn't take them in a heartbeat. That's not, that's, this isn't an immigration thing. This is just a way for Cuba to get rid of their problems. And it's less mouth to feed and it's somebody that's that's growling about us, complaining about us anyway. Uh, and, um, you know, the... the the take on Cuba, I think, is: when are, you, when are you going to actually deal with the regime problem down there? Uh, are we just going to trade? You know, are we just going to trade with the communists like we do with the China, or are we going to take on Cuba and deal with it, kind of like Trump did with China? Um, and we all know that that dropped prices a lot, but in the end, it looks like he probably came out ahead. And we we're selling the daylights out of stuff down to China, um, but Florida and u s presidential politics and Cuban Americans that's one whole new issue that I sometimes think agriculture just doesn't do a real good job of dealing with uh, There's that whole Cuban American community down in Florida there's a lot of there there's a lot of other places where they're at besides just Florida uh, it's it's and whether a lot of people in agriculture want to deal with it or not, it's there uh, and you got you got some progressive liberals in this country that are communists and they're thinking and and they kind of like Cuba you know when when you have one of the one of the largest organizations that's got a lot of publicity lately, and I'm not going to mention their name uh, but they come out and uh, you know basically tell Cuba to keep on doing what they're doing while they're, you know, beating up the protesters in the street and stuff. Um, that that shows you somewhat of a split coming in this country on how to deal with Cuba. So what's ag to do? Like I said, we, we got some farm leaders. We got people in, in, in ag organizations, especially commodity organizations, that we want to trade with whoever, whenever, wherever. And so my question is, are we going to trade with Venezuela? Are we going to trade with Iran? Of course, they're going to come back and say, "Well, hey, we're trading with communist China now," um, and so that that's a that's a question that probably I think has to has to be answered. Now, the the other thing I've noticed in our foreign organizations, rural America is getting more conservative. Not not all. I mean, you're going to find you know, and you're going to have people talk about well, this, that, or the other, or you know. When rural America becomes um, kind of what I call downsized suburban America, it, it may be not as conservative as that, but there's a lot of places in rural America that it has become more conservative than what it was. Uh, and, and maybe maybe, maybe it hasn't become more conservative. Maybe it just hasn't gotten as liberal as the rest of the world has or the rest of the country has. And it's just kind of stayed more where it's at. Um but has agriculture, uh, which which is becoming less and less of the people in rural America, is agriculture getting uh, not, maybe not less conservative, but not changing as much as rural America? Now, I think with a lot of farm leadership, I think a lot of farm leadership, um, they kind of, well, you know, we got to we got to play both sides. We got to run this thing, you know, both ways. If we don't play along, they can hurt us. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's what it is. But the membership of these organizations is probably more conservative than what it was or at least more aligned with one political party than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So, what do you do with Cuba? Uh you know, you got you got politicians saying, both Republican and Democrat, we need to go down there and do regime change. Um, and if you're going to actually put sanctions on them and put the hurt on them to get them to change, uh, we're not selling anything to them until those come off. Um, but then again, you're going to have people like China, Russia, uh, Venezuela, Iran, everybody else that is going to... Uh, you know, back Cuba and and try to help out their fellow brethren. That's up against the, you know, the the aggressive imperialists is what they'll call us. And other people say, hey, if we totally embrace them, if we trade with them, if we do all this stuff, they'll see how great and wonderful it is, and and they'll they'll come our way anyway. So I I don't know I I don't know I it worries me a little bit that I see. You know, Cuba's got the unrest they got going on. South Africa has got lots of problems. I think South Africa could possibly be headed to civil war um, since since that all thing started because they arrested that one political leader. And the riots started in that political leaders like Stronghold Neighborhood. And what I, what I mean by neighborhood, it would be the, the, like these whole states in south africa that that kind of where he came from uh and and you know is high food prices causing some of this unrest i don't know a lot of questions for agriculture to answer and and i don't have all the answers on this cuba thing uh there you could go two three different ways uh, and try to get to the end result um I don't know if if all of them is the correct way, but I don't know if there's one right way over another right way or if you don't try to do a combinations of things. You try to embrace them where you can and, and put pressure on them where you can't. Um, but you have to remember, people in agriculture have to remember that in a wide, slot, wide swath of Florida politics... Uh, this Cuban thing is different than we want to sell some food to them. And Florida's got a lot of electoral votes, and Florida's still something of a swing state, even though I think it's swung more uh, one way than the other ever since 2000. Uh, With with that said... um, you know, there's there's just a lot of electoral votes there, and when you come down to presidential politics, and let's face it, every senator at one time or another has been thinking about running for president anyway, so it's so it's there all the time. Uh, it It makes a interesting it makes an interesting deal for agriculture to figure out how we're going to work through all that. Maybe the thing we need to do is start talking to the Cuban-Americans in Florida and actually engaging them into our agriculture policy to see what we need to do. That, that I think, it's sometimes we've, we've more fought with them than actually sat down with them and say, you know, how do, how do we feed the people that's left in Cuba? How do we help them out? Now, they're probably the first thing going to say, well, you need to get rid of Castro or you need to get rid of you know, whoever the Castro replacement is. Okay, beyond that, what do we need to do? What, what can we do at You know, and see where they go with that. And, and maybe people have. You know, it's kind of like the ethanol debate. There's some, there's some people in the oil industry that they're like, well, you know, you get rid of the mandates, you get rid of, the, you know, the renewable fuel standards, you get rid of this, and then we'll sit down and talk. Well, there's no use sitting down and talking with you because we're not going to get rid of that other stuff. So we're not even going to sit down and talk with you if that's your conditions to sit down and talk. And and maybe maybe that's where the ag groups are, but I I don't know. I, I there there's a different bunch of Cuban Americans Latino leaders down there in Florida. Um, a lot of them have come in with the with the the forty fifth president, and I I think it's a different deal. Well, hey. That's just my thoughts on Cuba, my thoughts on trade, um, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, be- besides <clears throat> besides the trouble in Cuba, besides <clears> the trouble um, in South Africa, you still got the problems in Venezuela. We got Iran still trying to want to get a nuclear weapon really bad, and it looks like to me one of the hardest hardliners is going to take over as president in Iran here come August. Uh You know, uh, Myanmar, which used to be Burma, has got lots of problems. Uh, And and don't get me wrong. There's always been problems in the world. But there's just a lot of flare-ups. You got the guy in North Korea who's lost a bunch of weight. And, you know, people are wondering, okay, what kind of health issues has he got that he had to take all that weight off all of a sudden? Uh, Of course, both his father and his grandfather died of heart trouble. And being as overweight as he was is probably not a good thing. If you got heart trouble in your family. So, a lot of things going on in the world right now. Um, You know, be thankful if you got the rain, and here's praying for the people who don't have the rain to get it. To the smartest audience in agriculture, thanks for listening.